You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Hi, this is Pastor Chris from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, and today I want to share with you some keys to authentic worship. It's been almost a year since some churches like ours have had a normal worship experience. We've had outdoor services and parks and parking lots, and now we're having services in the front of a restaurant. And I hear from some of you that you missed the worship time. And what I think you're saying is that you missed the worship music time, which is real common. You know, people go to a church and they're like, oh, I just love the worship. The worship moved me. Um, But today, I just want to remind you that worship is way more than music. Worship is way more than how you feel about stuff. Worship is way more than getting pumped up at church on a Sunday morning. Worship is actually something that we do to show our love for God. We give our worship worship, we show God his worth. And that's what I want to talk about in the time we have together. I want to impress upon you that true worship is even more than just singing, uh, even more than uh, just going to church or spending an hour on a Sunday. But it's the choices that you make all through the week. It's the decisions that you make. It's the way you use your resources, use your time, the way you spend your life. So um, a lot of what we would call awesome worship um, it really does have to do with how we feel. So I've been to a church before where I've heard people say, oh, the pastor was so anointed. And then a few weeks later, they're like, oh, he didn't, he didn't seem very anointed. Or um, I've been pumped up and moved to follow God and to live for Jesus. And uh, my faith has been lifted and I felt closer to the Lord uh, through a particular song. Uh, I heard it for the first time. I'm like, wow. And then I played it over and over and over again until I got worn out. And I didn't, it didn't have the same type of feeling. It didn't move me like it did before. An example of that is the song Oceans. So when it first came out, it's like, wow. And now uh, when people play it, it's like, oh no, because I've just heard it so many times. It's gone from the top of my list to the bottom of my list. Another time that I was moved to worship was in 1996 at Promise Keepers when there was like 60,000 men in the Metrodome and they were all singing uh, hymns and praises to God together. That was pretty moving. That was an awesome, awesome worship, worship experience. Another time when I was on Pikes Peak in Colorado, uh, I had some time alone to worship the Lord. And that was also a very moving experience, a moving time. In his book, Experience God in Worship, Christian author George Barna says that the main reason millions of people in America go to church every week is not to worship God, but is instead to have a pleasing experience. He goes on to say that most Americans go to church to satisfy or please themselves, not to honor or please God. Amazingly, few of the people that Barna's research team interviewed said that worship is something that they do primarily for God, instead a much larger percentage of those who attend worship services on a regular basis claim they do so for personal benefit and pleasure. So uh, that's something that's got to change. We must forget about ourselves and concentrate on him. He must be the primary, the primary focus of our worship. So uh, why do you go to church? Is it to worship God? Is it to learn about God? Is it for a feeling or is it not a commitment? So let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. Turn to John chapter 4. And I just want to remind you of the story of the Samaritan woman and then talk about worship. Talk about worship. So you'll see on your screen here. But you'll recall from your past Bible reading that uh, Jesus is talking with the woman at the well who appears 
to be coming at the time of day when uh, other people aren't going to be out there. Maybe she was a social outcast. Uh, she had quite a few husbands. Either she was an immoral woman or uh, she had really bad luck on husbands because I think she had like five husbands and she's living with a guy now. But that's in the passage that I'm going to read right here in John chapter 4. So uh, bear with me because it's uh, like 20 some verses, but it's worth it. So let's start. Look at the screen. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth." The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So then the disciples show up. Now, uh, skip down to uh, verse 39. It says, Many Samaritans believe. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. Verse 42, Then they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That is such an exciting passage because, you know, Jesus could have shared that information with a scholar or uh, a religious teacher or somebody so much more important than a Samaritan woman. Uh, he chose to share it with her. 
And that just gives me hope and reaffirms this idea that Jesus reaches out to people no matter what they've done, where they've been, or what they've endured. Like I said, um, either she was an immoral woman or she was really unlucky with husbands because she had um, somehow uh, been married and let go or divorced five times and was living with some guy that wasn't her husband at that time. But she heard what Jesus said and she took him at his word and went and got everyone she could to go see him. Her testimony was great evangelism. She just shared what she knew. And then that group heard Jesus and said, oh, wow, we, we believe what you say. Will you stay with us for a couple of days? They invited him in. And that is so awesome. So uh, I was going to say that uh, since we're all familiar with the Bible, you just remember the Samaritan woman, and I'm just going to focus on verses 23 and 24. But I don't want to take for granted that uh, all of these people, all of you who are watching are familiar with your Bible or remember that story. There's so many things we could say about that story, but I just want to focus on worship right now. Let me focus on verses 23 and 24 that says, true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So before I talk about worship, let me just uh, show you this uh, clip I have on the definition of worship to uh, share with you. Worship defined. So here, watch this clip. The verb worship is given two basic definitions in the New American Heritage Dictionary. First, to honor and love as a deity. And second, to regard with ardent or adoring esteem or devotion. This one word can be used to describe a fan's love of his favorite sports star, as well as the honor given to God. Although both Greek and Hebrew have several terms that on occasion are translated into English as worship, most often it's the Hebrew word shakah and the Greek word that are translated as worship in our Old and New Testaments. These words have very similar meanings. Both refer to bowing down and humbly prostrating oneself. Bowing down was an act of honor to authority or royalty. And the Israelites again and again were reminded not to bow down to any false god. In the New Testament, the term proskuneho is used most often in the Gospels, Acts, and Revelation and emphasizes the worship of a very present Lord. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw His star in the east and have come to worship Him. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. All right, so just like every other Sunday, I uh, 
on so much information, read so much information uh, that I just want to share so many things that don't really fit. But I do want to read you some quotes. I want you to walk away uh, with an idea of what true worship is and how it's much more than just how you feel or awesome music or a concert experience, uh, all those things. So uh, don't get your faith caught up in feelings because Sunday's feelings will let you down. Uh, Some days you wake up and you feel like, oh, I'm just on fire for Jesus. And on other days you wake up in the morning and you're like, uh, am I even a Christian? I better, I better, yep, the Bible says I am, but I don't feel like anything. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I think a lot of people feel like that. I've heard they do, but God wants us to worship him. John MacArthur uh, has written quite a few books and he has some good definitions for worship. He says, God created us for the ultimate priority of worshiping him. Worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. Worship is all that we are, reacting rightly to all that he is. Worship, by the way, is not music. Worship is loving God. Worship is honoring God. Worship is knowing God. For who he is, adoring him, obeying him, proclaiming him as a way of life. Music is one way we express that adoration. So worship is everything that we do and the reasons that we do it. Uh, The way that uh, we do our job at work, the way we spend our money, the way we prioritize our time can all be seen as an act of worship. And in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Warren Wiersbe, in uh, Biblical Worship, uh, writes, True biblical worship so satisfies our total personality that we don't have to shop around for man-made substitutes. William Temple made this clear in his masterful definition of worship. For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. So that's Warren Wearsby in the Integrity Crisis. So number one, God seeks true worshipers. God seeks true worshipers. Worship is ascribing worth to God. We are to live our lives in a way that glorifies God. When we choose to do the right thing and we choose to run away from the wrong thing, when we choose to stand up for what's right and godly, when we choose to not shrink back or back down uh, when it matters so much that we proclaim Jesus uh, it's not convenient to um, be an evangelist and to share Jesus with your friends, your family, your neighbors, even your boss. It's scary, and sometimes there's consequences. But all of that is an act of worship. When we worship God, we are regarding Him with extravagant respect, with extravagant honor, with extravagant devotion. When we worship, we worship when we give God His fair credit for being an extravagant God. He is worthy of respect and honor and devotion. He is worthy of all of this, and so we give it to Him. We worship Him. So the fact that God seeks true worshipers implies that there are false worshipers, false worship, people worshiping the wrong thing. I had a friend that worked with Native Americans, and he said that, uh, you know, when 
uh, Native American says that uh, they are worshiping the Great Spirit, that that is not referring to the God we worship. Uh, He said that would be the Great Creator, not the Great Spirit. False worshipers either worship something other than God, or they may attempt to worship the true God, but do it in ways that actually dishonor Him. All true worshipers are sincere, but all sincere worshipers are not true. For example, there are devout, sincere worshipers of Allah, or Krishna, or Buddha, or the Mormon God, or the Jehovah Witness God, but they are sincerely wrong, not because they are worshiping the only living and true God uh, who has revealed Himself in the Bible, Uh, There are also Christians who are sincere, but their worship is man-centered. Sometimes it's patterned more after the entertainment world than after the Bible. It draws attention to the performers, but not to the Lord. On the other end of the Christian spectrum, some go through ancient liturgies week after week, but their hearts are not in submission to God. They mistakenly think that because they went through the rituals, they're good for another week. In uh, Matthew 15, 8, Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. We need to be careful not to fall into that category. You know, the first thing we need to do to be a true worshiper is we need to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be born again. We need to become a child of God. You know, the Bible says that... uh, we only become children of God when we place our faith in Jesus. John 1, 12, to as many as received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That means that uh, we all might be God's creation, but we're not God's children until we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Then we're adopted as children of God. Then we're assured salvation. Then we are able to worship uh, in truth, in the manner that God wants us to worship Jesus, Why, worship the Father, worship the Son, worship the Holy Spirit. God wants us to worship in truth. And true worshipers must be saved, must be born again, must be in God's family. Um, would you like to pray to receive Jesus today? It's not the prayer, not the words of the prayer that save you, but it's the desire to follow after Jesus. Pray something like this Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that you died on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me. Make me the person you created me to be. I want to follow after you and worship you the way that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you've done that, let us know so that we can send you resources to help you to grow in your new Christian life, to help you get started, and to help you to worship in the way that God desires. Number two, God seeks worshipers that worship in spirit. So that's more than just us uh, feeling it, you know, worshiping from within, worshiping with the uh, spirit that we have in us. It's also uh, worshiping through the Holy Spirit. So there's a connection made when we are able to have the Holy Spirit help us to be effective worshipers. The Bible says that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us, teaches us, prays for us, empowers us, uh, does so much. And so we are to worship uh, in spirit, in the spirit. So um, Jesus explained to the Samaritan woman that God is spirit. That's his essential nature. So uh, God doesn't have a material body. He's invisible, but that means that he can be all places at all time. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And that is the God that we worship, the God who cares about us, the God who um, is at work in our lives. 
Uh, Jesus is also uh, at work in our lives, as is the Holy Spirit, but the Samaritan woman at that time would only be able to understand the worship of the Father. John Piper points out three reasons why Jesus had told the Samaritan woman to uh, worship the Father. Through Jesus, we come to know God as our Father, whom we worship. Uh, He suggests that Jesus emphasizes the Father to the Samaritan woman. uh, First, because God is the Father of the Samaritans, and this woman mentions our father Jacob and our father's worship in this mountain. So Jesus shifts the focus from these human fathers to the Father who alone is to be worshipped. Second, Jesus is pointing out that the Father has spiritual children. Having children is what makes is what makes one a father. We become God's children through believing in Jesus and being born of the Spirit. Being children of the Father implied that we have a personal relationship with Him. And third, God is the Father of His unique Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This does not mean that Jesus became the Son at a point in time. There was never a time when He was not God's Son. The relationship of God as Father of Jesus, the Son, points to Jesus sharing the same essential nature as the Father. Jesus is God. First uh, John or John five eighteen states, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. And in John ten thirty, Jesus stated, "I and the Father are one." In John seventeen five, Jesus prays, "Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was." God the Father and God the Son have always been equal as God. And he writes, I'm not suggesting that Jesus intended for the Samaritan woman to grasp the mystery of the Trinity in this first encounter, but the Holy Spirit inspired these words so that we would come to worship God in his triune nature, as Jesus says. So to worship in spirit is to worship from the heart or from within. It's opposed to formal, ceremonial, external worship by those whose hearts are not right with God. Thus, the most important factor in becoming a worshiper is to guard and cultivate your heart for God. In John Calvin's commentary, he writes... Worship in the Spirit is the inward faith of the heart, which produces prayer, purity of conscience, and self-denial, leading to obedience. So, worship can be heartfelt. Worship can be um, very emotional. Uh, There can be tears in worship, joy in worship, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean if you're feeling those things that that's true worship. On the other hand, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're uh, not feeling those things, that if they're not absent, that that's not true worship. So don't be led around by your feelings. Uh, Campus Crusade used to have a four spiritual laws track that had a picture of a, uh, a train engine and then uh, a train car and a train caboose. And the caboose represented your feelings and your feelings don't matter as much as faith and fact do. Another writer shared that genuine emotions for God stem from focusing our minds on the truth of who He is and what He's done for us at the cross. But if your worship never touches your emotions, then something is wrong. It's like my love for my wife. My relationship with her is not built on my feelings, but rather on my commitment to her. But when I think about all that she means to me, I feel love for her, and I ought to express that love in some outward manner that shows her that I love her. And I've been married for over 30 years, and I remember all those gushy feelings that I felt when we first got married, and sometimes I have them now, but uh, one thing that really gets the feelings going is when I think of what I would do without her, when I think about how much she means to me, uh, when I consider uh, like losing her, if something were to happen to her, uh, the emotions come 
emotions can be really misleading. Um, I love my wife. Uh, I don't feel gushy feelings every day, but uh, I, I often do. So, and I'm sure that she would probably say the same about me. Number three, God seeks worshipers that worship in truth. Worship in truth. So the Samaritans attempted to worship, but Jesus said they worshiped what they did not know. They were worshiping the best they knew how. They were trying to worship uh, someone they did not know. They had to worship in truth. And to worship in truth, they had to know and accept the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So to worship properly, you have to worship in the truth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. So worship really doesn't have to do with what day it is or where you're worshiping uh, or what the music is or what's the proper dress for worship. I remember a time when uh, I was told that we needed to dress up to go to church, that, uh, you know, we're going to the Lord's house, so we need to put that suit on or um, music. So I was told that uh, only sacred hymns and organ music and that types of stuff was acceptable in worship. Um, I don't believe that now. So, but I do know there's all sorts of different types of music and one form of music that might, like some twangy country hymn, might move you with a steel guitar and cowbells and whatever else. Um, it might not move me. Uh, and then some of what I listen to or what would move me, probably not move you at all. It might even give you a headache. But uh, music has a lot to do with style. So there's no, uh, necessar- there's no regulations for that. There are some churches that everything is a cappella and they don't use any instruments at all. Um, we're not a church like that. So, but God can be worshipped on any day, in any place, with any music, as long as the worshiper is regarding God with extravagant respect, honor, and devotion. So, you know, it's hard to properly worship God on Sunday if we're not worshiping Him the rest of the week. So if you go out and party and uh, come to church with a hangover or tired because you stayed up too late watching a movie or whatever else, you roll into church, uh, you're not going to feel it when it comes to worship. And you're probably not going to be very uh, proactive at putting in any effort to worship. Uh, Really, though, uh, worship God all through the week. Worship God with your performance at work, the way you treat other people, the way that you prioritize your time to spend time with God. Uh, You know, maybe uh, you make a priority to get those devotions in. Uh, A lot of us like the YouVersion Bible plans. Uh, I like the longer plan. Some of those plans are so short. It takes more time to push the buttons than it does to hear the content. But some of them are long and good. And uh, they remind you when you've fallen behind. So I'd encourage you to uh, maybe start going through a version Bible plan. Currently, I've been going through the New Testament in 40 days using the Christian Standard Bible this time around. Uh, last big Bible reading plan I did was through the Bible in a year using the New Living Translation. Not sure which one I'm going to do next here. In the, in the next week, I'll, I'll start another one. But uh, when we put God first, when we prioritize Him with our time and our resources, then that is an act of worship. Um, we also... Uh, repent of our sin as it comes to mind, and we ask for forgiveness, and we make a commitment to try to not do it again. Uh, We grow in the Lord. We grow in uh, Christian discipline. Uh, We grow in spiritual fruit. Uh, We use our spiritual gifts. Um, But truth is what we find in Scripture. Truth is what God has revealed to us, and we need to worship God on His terms, not ours. Our society, our culture wants to twist Uh, God into what they think is convenient. 
They don't want to go to God's word and say, how am I supposed to live or how am I supposed to believe or what am I supposed to do? Instead, they want to twist the words of scripture to fit whatever they want to do and then get all mad if somebody tells them um, that's not what the Bible says. God has revealed himself to us in his word of truth and supremely in his son who is the truth. To worship God in truth means that we worship him for all that he is in the majesty of his attributes as revealed in all of scripture. We worship him for his love, but also for his justice and righteousness. And even when he disciplines us, we love him. We worship him. Uh, We worship him for his sovereignty and his grace. We worship him when he gives, but also when he takes away. So again, when you worship through the week, uh, that is worshiping God. Um, When you try to share your faith or you support missionaries or as you become a missionary and go to a different people group or even a different land to share Jesus, that is an act of worship. Uh, Giving to support Christian workers in the church and fellow believers is an act of worship. Godly Godly behavior is an act of worship. An attitude of praise and thanksgiving is a matter of worship. The point is you can't live a self-centered worldly life all week long and then to come to church on Sundays and worship. I mean, think about it. Um, A lot of you know all sorts of sports figures and their stats and, uh, you know, basketball comes along or uh, football season comes along and you know who all the players are and uh, you're all focused on them. You like look in the news every day, try to see, you know, how your favorite players are doing, maybe your fantasy uh, football league or whatever, you know, just want to know everything about them. Do you know that much about God? Do you spend that much time checking out God? Um, do you uh, pursue the Lord like you would your uh, favorite athlete or uh, celebrity? Or do you pay more attention to God than you do your stocks? Uh, Romans 12.1, again, I mentioned this, I think, last week too, but therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So uh, living that life and doing that process is an act of worship. And uh, you want God to transform you into the person he created you to be. You don't want to be conformed to what the world wants you to be. You don't want to be conformed to what philosophers and politicians and uh, people that just want to use you to get your money or your vote. Uh, You don't want to be conformed to uh, their practices. There's so much compromise right now, so much moral compromise. It's uh, terrifying to think about what the end result will be for all the poor choices that political leaders are making right now, for all the poor choices that are being forced into laws when people are being forced to do things that are against their conscience, against their faith practice, against what they believe the Word of God wants them to do because they're afraid of being sued or losing their business or losing their agency. Um, This is a tough time to live, and we really need to worship in truth and to know what the Bible says, uh, that God said it, and I believe it, that settles it, Uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. So A.W. Tozer and What is Worship? He wrote, Worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of the most ancient mystery, that majesty which philosophers call the first cause, but which we call our Father which art in heaven. A.W. Tozer. He gets quoted a lot. 
he was a Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor and uh, wrote a lot of books. So I guess if you want to get quoted a lot, you need to write a lot of books and a lot of articles. So J.I. Packer, in his devotional book, Your Father Loves You, Daily Insights for Knowing God, from 1986, he wrote, To worship God is to recognize His worth or worthiness, to look Godward and to acknowledge in all appropriate ways the value of what we see. The Bible calls this activity glorifying God and giving glory to God and views it as the ultimate end, from one point of view, the whole duty of man. Scripture views the glorifying of God as a sixfold activity, praising God for all that He is and all of His achievements, thanking Him for His gifts and His goodness to us, asking Him to meet our own and others' needs, offering Him our gifts, our service, and ourselves, learning of Him from His Word, read and preached, and obeying His voice, telling others of His worth, both by public confession and testimony to what He has done for us. Thus we might say that the basic formulas of worship are these, Lord, you are wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Please, Lord. Take this, Lord. Yes, Lord. Listen, everybody. Then this is worship in its largest sense. Petitions as well as praise. Preaching as well as prayer. Hearing as well as speaking. Actions as well as words. Obeying as well as offering. Loving people as well as loving God. However, the primary acts of worship are those which focus on God directly. And thus we must not imagine that work for God in the world is a substitute for direct fellowship with Him in praise and prayer and devotion. Worship puts God first when you don't know what to do, and it appears your world is about to fall apart. Your world might be about to fall apart. Maybe your world's been falling apart for the last year. Maybe uh, the only thing that's been holding you together is spending time in God's Word, praying through things, and worshiping. Just saying, God, you're all that I have. Um, I know that you're all that I need, but I also need these things. I know that some of you have lost jobs or are fearful that you're going to lose a job. I know that some of you have been fearful of getting sick. Uh, others have lost friends because of political arguments and um, difficulties everywhere. And I know that it's so easy to just tell you to worship and trust God when you're going through hard times, when you're going through sickness, when uh, you've been diagnosed with cancer or the bills are overwhelming or you're about to lose your house or there's just so many things. Um, but I would encourage you to put God first because you always come out ahead when you put God first. And um, when we put God first, sometimes amazing things happen. Uh, sometimes amazing things happen at the last minute. Uh, sometimes you just resign yourself to die and then God shows up and rescues you. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm not going to starve to death after all. I guess I'm not going to be homeless. I guess God is going to take care of me after all. But even if he doesn't, Show up when we need him to. We need to trust that he's got a bigger and better plan. We need to trust that he is still going to do something to help us, to preserve us. And worst case scenario, if we die, we still go into the presence of Jesus to spend eternity with him in heaven. So that's awesome too. And I apologize on this one that I read a lot of stuff, but I just wanted to help you to get a bigger view of worship than maybe you had, to help you to understand that worship is so much more than just the experience of the music and uh, coming to church. Uh, we haven't been able to come to church for almost a year, 
that uh, it's been tough. We got together yesterday or last Sunday in the front of our restaurant. We're going to do it again, not this Sunday, but uh, the next Sunday after that. We're uh, turning over every rock looking for any opportunity to get our own place to meet. Uh, So far, we haven't found anything that works for us for the long-term future, but we're praying and doing what we can to move forward. Pray with us. So let me read to you another old-time story, and uh, I'll be done, I promise. The citizens of Veldkrich, Austria, didn't know what to do. Napoleon's massive army was preparing to attack. Soldiers had been spotted on the heights above the little town, which was situated on the Austrian border. A council of citizens was hastily summoned to decide whether they should try to defend themselves or display the white flag of surrender. It happened to be Easter Sunday, and the people had gathered in the local church. The pastor rose and said, Friends, we have been counting on our own strength, and apparently that has failed. As this is the day of our Lord's resurrection, let us just ring the bells, have our services as usual, and leave the matter in His hands. We know only our weakness and not the power of God to defend us. The council accepted His plan and the church bells rang. The enemy, hearing the sudden peal, concluded that the Austrian army had arrived during the night to defend the town, and before the service ended, the enemy broke camp and left. You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen.